Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. Tonight, two great stories, Banquo's Chair and Five Canaries in a Room. Hang on for some real suspense. In just a moment, CBS will present its weekly program of the world's outstanding thrillers, Suspense. Before we begin, the producer feels it incumbent upon him to reply herewith to the many inquiries concerning the solution of last week's story of the woman on the telephone called... Sorry, wrong number. Due to a momentary confusion in the studio, an important line cue was delivered at the wrong time, and some of our listeners were uncertain as to the outcome of the story. For them, be it known that the woman, so remarkably played by Miss Agnes Moorhead, was murdered by a man whom her husband had hired to do the job. We should also like to announce that in response to many hundreds of requests, this suspense play will be repeated within a few weeks. And now, this is the man in black, here again to introduce our performance tonight of Suspense. this evening are two distinguished gentlemen from the Hollywood sound stages, Mr. Donald Crisp and Mr. John Loder. Mr. Crisp and Mr. Loder are here to enact for us a strange and startling drama in which they, in the interest of justice, made use of an unusual method to wring a confession of guilt from a criminal. The story is by Rupert Croft Cook and is called Banquo's Chair. And so with Banquo's Chair... And the performances of Donald Crisp as Sir William Brent and John Loder as Arthur Grange, Sir William's friend who relates the story to us, we again hope to keep you in suspense. I would like you to look at this photograph. It's the picture of Sir William Brent ex-head of the English criminal investigation. I knew Sir William well, and he always terrified me. Not in the sense that he was brutal or evil. He was none of that. But look at that cold face, particularly his eyes. When he looked at you, you flushed with guilt. Every misdeed you ever committed in your life floated over your face. A glance from him made you feel as if you were stark naked. He saw you with all your defenses down. Sir William was the scourge of criminals, coldly unemotional, utterly without fear or passion. He tracked them down mercilessly and never lost a case. There was no feeling in him, no pity, no hate, nothing but terrifying, cold intelligence. And he was deadly to everyone he went after. I'm going to tell you about his last case, a case that, well, even recalling it sends real shudders through me. I swear it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. I wish I never had. I witnessed it in all its dreadful details. One night at the club, about 11 o'clock, a boy came up to me. Telegram for you, sir. I ripped open the envelope and read the telegram. Dear Arthur, will you come and dine with me at Turret House, Sydenham on Thursday? There will be several guests, and I think I can promise you an unforgettable evening. It was signed by Sir William Brent... 
I was annoyed. I don't like to receive telegrams so late in the evening. And Sir William could easily have phoned. Unless he didn't want to go into details with me. I decided to phone him. Hello? Hello? This is Arthur Grange calling. Yes, I know. Did you receive my telegram? Yes, Sir William. What's all the mystery about? Well, I'll tell you about it on Thursday. Are you coming? Yes, I'll be there. Very good. I particularly want you to be there. You sound so mysterious, I'm thinking of coming armed or bringing several bodyguards. No, it won't be necessary to bring any bodyguards. But you'd better come armed. Well armed. Yes, bring a revolver. Good night. Early Thursday evening, I made my way to Turret House. A windy November rain slashed at the streets. Turret House is a huge, red-brick, unpleasantly somber mansion. An ugly product of Queen Victoria's time. There it squatted, back of the road. Almost hidden to view by several dripping pine trees. The neighborhood had known better days. I walked up along the unkept path until I reached the great oaken door. I let the knocker fall once or twice, and the door opened. Good evening, Mr. Grange. I was waiting for you. Hello, Lane. Nasty night, sir, isn't it? There's not much warmer in here. There's a fire in the dining room, sir. Whatever made Sir William move into this drafty dungeon? Oh, we haven't moved in, sir. It's only temporary. Sir William just rented. We still live in the West End. Oh, I see. Have any of the other guests arrived? Yes, Mr. Grange. Miss Stone is here. Miss Stone? Yes, the mystery writer. This way, Mr. Grange. I'll show you to the dining room. Sir William will be down shortly. Oh, hello. I'm Roberta Stone. How do you do? I'm Arthur Grange, an old friend of Sir William. Yes, I know. I've read some of your mystery stories and enjoyed them very much. Thank you, Mr. Grange. Just what is going on here tonight? I don't know. Sir William sounded awfully mysterious. But then, I've known Sir William for a long time. He never lets anyone down. If anything, he understates. I know. He told me to come armed. He told me the same thing. Here's my gun. (laughs) I must admit, I've never fired it in my life. This house is certainly a proper background for anything unpleasant. It's already been the scene of a crime. Oh? What crime? Murder. A particularly unpleasant one. Really? I must say the murderer couldn't have picked a more ideal spot. Isn't it a fact? You know, I once wrote a story of... Good evening, Roberta. Uh, Arthur, I'm glad you're both on time. Hello, Sir William. Hello. A nice apartment you have here. A sort of uh, mausoleum and dining room combined. Mm. You're a bit afraid, aren't you? Of course not. Why should I be? Your eyes give you away. What's all this about? You invite us to this godforsaken dungeon and tell us to come armed? Don't be upset, Arthur. I'm sure you'll come out of this all right. You mean we may be in some danger? Naturally, I wouldn't tell you to come armed otherwise. Who is this other guest, Sir William? There are two more guests. But first we'll have a drink and then I'll tell you both all about it. Uh, Lane. Yes, Sir William? Will you serve the drinks? Yes, sir. Now, I'll tell you what's going to happen tonight. This house, Turret House, was the scene of the Sydenham murder. A very famous case. Yes, I know about it. That's right. Uh, No offense, old man, but wasn't it the only case you never solved? You're wrong, Arthur. I solved the Sydenham case, but 
but I couldn't bring the criminal to justice because of insufficient evidence. You mean you knew who the murderer was? Oh, yes, of course. It was the nephew. The police knew it, too. Then why in the world didn't you bring the case to a conclusion? Because the nephew had an absolute and unimpeachable alibi. To have arrested him would have meant a waste of time and money and release in the end. Besides, according to English law, a man discharged can never be arrested again on the same murder charge. Well, this is all very fascinating. Uh, Has it anything to do with our being here tonight? Yes, Roberta, it has. In a short while, the nephew, John Bedford, will be here to dine with us. And, oh yes, the victim, Miss Ferguson. What? Well, wait. You mean Miss Ferguson wasn't actually murdered? Miss Ferguson is quite dead. Has been dead these two years. You mean you're going to have the body of Miss Ferguson here at dinner? Oh, this is a little too much. If you'll excuse me, I'll dine elsewhere tonight. Not so fast, Roberta. Perhaps you'd better wait until you hear the rest of the story. This promises to be a very gay dinner. Oh, yes. Now, as you both know, I've never lost a case except the Sidney murder, which will be finished tonight. Now, I'm an egotist. I don't believe there's a criminal in all England that can outwit me. As a matter of fact, I've resigned from the criminal investigation for the sole reason of trapping Mr. John Bedford. It's hard to believe. Well, I told you I was an egotist. No criminal has beaten me yet, and no one ever will. You have an awful lot of patience. Mm, Infinite patience. I devoted two years to this case, and now that my moment of triumph has arrived, I wanted to have some witnesses. A writer who will record the event, and an admirer who will applaud with awe the trickiness of my scheme. Well, if it's as gruesome as I think it is, I won't be here to watch it. Oh, yes, you will. Horror has a way of fascinating and hypnotizing people. Besides, Arthur, you'd be ashamed to run out now. I'll stay, of course. So will I. Good. Now, before I tell you my scheme, let me first acquaint you with the details of the murder. Exactly two years ago tonight, old Miss Ferguson... Why don't you answer when I call? I was in the kitchen, ma'am. It's after ten o'clock. You should be on your way home. I was just about to leave. Has my nephew called? No, ma'am. Mr. Bedford hasn't called since yesterday. I told him he couldn't come in. Just like you said. I don't ever want to see him again. He's no good. He's an evil man who will come to an evil end. You're never to let him in here, Hilda. He won't ever come in this house if I can help it. No, ma'am. Now you'd better run along. And make sure all the doors are bolted. Yes, ma'am. Good night, Miss Ferguson. Good night, Hilda. A pity about that nephew of mine. I'll change my will. Won't leave him a penny, I won't. In the morning, I'll change the will. That's... (gasps) Who's there? Who is it? I, Aunt Martha, your own affectionate nephew. What are you doing in my house? You're not at all pleased to see me. Your only living relative, too. I'd like you to leave at once or call the police, I've caught. <laughs> I'd rather not, Auntie. I want to have a talk with you. You don't want to talk to me. All you want is money. Yes, Auntie, I do want money. And lots of it. You've got all the money you'll ever get out of me. You won't even get a penny after I die. I'll see to that. Perhaps you'll appreciate the value of money after you've worked for it. You know, Auntie... You're... You're wearing gloves. What are you up to? I've made up my mind. What are you doing? 
Keep away. You're an old woman. All that money is no good for you. You can never use it. I'm young and money means life to me. A rich and gay life. You're old and you're going to die soon anyway. No. No, it can't be. You're not going to do that. Yes, Auntie, I am. You don't want to live anywhere. You're lonely, you're sick and you're old. I'm going to do you a favor. <laughs> Nobody can hear you now. I'm your heir. Your only heir, Auntie. Your next of kin. The estate is going to be mine. All of it. <laughs> Now, don't you worry, Auntie. We'll have a fine funeral for you. That's pretty much the way old Miss Ferguson was murdered. Oh, how ghastly. Hilda found the body the next morning. I immediately went to work on the case. All the evidence pointed to John Bedford. Everyone believed he committed the crime. He almost admitted it himself. I had him brought to my office for questions. Oh, hello, Bedford. Come in. Thank you, sir. How'd you do, sir, William? Cigarette? Oh, thank you. Well, how does it feel to kill your own aunt? May I have a light, please? Yes, of course. Thank you. I wouldn't know, sir, William. You see, I never killed anyone. Have you? I have, Mr. Bedford. And I've sent quite a few to the gallows. Yes, so I understand. What was your relationship to Miss Ferguson? She was my aunt. Don't be flippant. <laughs> Flippancy only proves your guilt. Well, to tell you the truth, sir, my aunt didn't like me. She thought I was a spendthrift and a useless parasite, and she was quite right. Would you mind telling me where you were the night your aunt was murdered? Oh, not at all. In jail. I had drunk a little too much and gotten into a bit of a tiff with someone, that's all. Have you ever been arrested for drunkenness before? Never, Sir William. This was my first offence. It's quite an alibi. Quite a fact. <laughs> it would hardly be possible for me to be in jail and kill my aunt at the same time, you know. Uh, unless, of course, my aunt came into my cell and allowed me to murder her, after which she walked back to Turret House as a ghost, dragging her body behind her. <laughs> According to my reports, Mr. Bedford, you drink very little. No one who knows you has ever seen you drunk before. You probably got drunk in joyful anticipation of murdering your aunt. As a thoroughgoing criminal investigator, don't you think you ought to check my story? I already have. Oh. You've done a very skillful job. Too bad you couldn't use your talents for something constructive. Well, why don't you arrest me, sir, will you? No, Mr. Bedford. I have time. Plenty of time. Well, you'd better work fast. By the time you get around to me, I'll have spent all of my aunt's beautiful money. It's not the money we're after. It's you. Your beautiful life. Good day, Mr. Bedford. That's how matters stood. I refused to let any of my men arrest him. But how in the world could he have murdered his aunt while he was in jail? Perhaps he bribed the prison guard to let him out for an hour. Yes, Roberto, I believe he did. Unfortunately, the guard died of pneumonia soon afterwards, which left us no further source of evidence. As far as I can see at the moment, Sir William, you haven't a leg to stand on. You're quite right, Arthur, I haven't. Except that every man, particularly a criminal, has an Achilles heel. I discovered John Bedford's weakness. What is it? He's superstitious. Hmm. And it annoyed me tremendously that John Bedford was my first failure. Here was a clever, calloused criminal who laughed at me. No one had ever done that before. 
Bedford knew I could do him no harm, and he made the most of it. Carefully and patiently, I thought it over. I looked upon Bedford as you would look on a Chinese puzzle. There is no such thing as an impregnable defense. A few months later, I went to visit Bedford. Well, Sir William Brent. What a surprise. Won't you come in, please? Thank you, Mr. Bedford. Oh. Well, I'm honored to have the great Sir William Brent pay me a visit. You're not after any more clues, I hope. It gets rather tedious, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. I know when I'm licked. Well, I don't want to appear smug, sir, but everyone has his Waterloo. Would you have a drink? No, thanks. I suppose you're curious about why I came here. Well, I I'd hardly imagined it was a friendly visit. <laughs> On the contrary, it is. You see, I admire brilliant people, no matter what they're calling. Oh, you're very flattering, Sir William. I've resigned from the criminal investigation. I'm a private citizen now. Yes, I've heard about that. Most people misunderstand me. It wasn't my love for justice that made me pursue my profession with such tenacity and... Uh, Success? With the sole exception of your case, of course. <laughs> it was a game of skill to me. My wits against all comers. I lost in your case. But then we've all got to lose some time, haven't we? I don't believe you, Sir William. You're still out to get me. Well, there isn't much of a chance, is there? I'm afraid not, Sir William. I've kept out of trouble so far. Knock wood. Hmm. That's an odd habit for a man like you. Knocking on wood. You're not superstitious, are you? Huh? Of course not. Just a habit since I was a child. <laughs> I see. Well, now to the reason for my visit. I noticed in the papers that you're looking for a tenant for Turret House. Oh, yes, I am. I'd like to rent it. Well, the scene of the crime, huh? <laughs> well, of course, why not? There's no harm in it. As a matter of fact, I'll let you have it very cheaply. And that's how I rented this house. The house where the murder was committed. Well, what's your plan? It had better be a good one. Mr. Bedford sounds like a hard customer. Yes, it's a strange plan, but an effective one. I saw Bedford frequently. Our acquaintance blossomed into a kind of friendship, an armed friendship, of course. He knew I was out to get him, and I wanted him to know that. He's vain, very vain. And this game intrigued him. I also learned that he was very superstitious, although he denied it vigorously. Tonight is the anniversary of the murder, and tonight Mr. Bedford dines with us at eight o'clock. It's nearly eight now. Now, this is the plan. You know May Wakefield? Of course. She's the famous Shakespearean actress. That's right. During dinner, she will enter the room in the precise likeness of Miss Ferguson, the murdered woman. We, of course, will pretend not to see her. We remain outwardly unconscious of her. Only Bedford will be aware of her presence. I believe Bedford will confess. I'd imagine he'd keep away on this night, especially if it's the anniversary. He's giddy with success. And also... The fact that Roberta Stone, the famous writer, is here with us. Tweaks his vanity. <laughs> He'll be here promptly. Oh, I don't like this. Well, this is just like one of your stories. It doesn't become you to be frightened. Oh, I won't run away. Well, there's one more thing. During dinner, the electric lights will be switched off at the main, and candles will be lit. Oh. We must have the correct atmosphere. Mm -hmm. You understand now? You're not to see May Wakefield. She doesn't exist for us. Is that clear? I'll look right through her. Oh, it gives me the creeps. That, I am sure, is our Mr. Bedford. 
The appearance of John Bedford suddenly made the whole scene grimly real. He was a tall, well-built man in his late thirties, immaculately dressed and perfectly groomed. At first sight, his face seemed pleasant enough, but on closer scrutiny, his grey eyes were hard and cold. He looked us over, all of us, with arrogance and superiority. I heartily wished I was elsewhere. This was one scene I had no desire to witness. After the introductions were over, we sat down to dinner. Is it still nasty outside, Mr. Bedford? Yes, and getting worse. Looks like we're in for a few days of this. Mm, too bad. I was going to do some riding tomorrow. The soup is uh, excellent. Yes, your cooks would be congratulated, son. The soup's a masterpiece. Poor Alice. She's been my cook for 20 years. But she's given me notice, absolutely refuses to stay here, says this house is haunted. So? Roberta, this might make an interesting story for you. Yes, Sir William. You should speak to her. Alice swears that she has seen the figure of an elderly lady with finger marks on her throat walking about this house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come now, Sir William. This is too good. Such an obvious attempt to frighten me. Sir William is convinced that I murdered my aunt. <laughs> Please, Sir William, a little more subtlety. Surely I deserve it. Perhaps the cook did see the figure. As you very well know, Mr. Bedford, I don't believe in ghosts. And I'm sure my cook never saw this elderly figure. It's all in her mind. Well, I'm afraid your little attempt didn't work, sir. But I, I must admire your graceful admittance of its failure. Mm, so I suppose I'd better give up, shouldn't I? Oh, no, no, no. Never give up. If at first you don't succeed, you know... Uh, do you live very far from here, Mr. Bedford? Oh, thank you, Miss Stone, but there's no need to change the topic. I hope you find this game as amusing as I do. I'm sorry, Mr. Bedford, but this isn't my idea of pleasant dinner conversation. Oh, we'll talk of pleasant things. <laughs> I saw a very exciting play last night. Excuse me a moment. It's really fearfully hot in here. Do you mind if we get a little air, please? Oh, I'm sorry. It is rather warm. Lane, open one of the windows, please. Yes, sir. Awful weather, isn't it? Yes. I don't know how we're going to get home, really. No, it's a bad month of the year. I'd intended to go to the Riviera for... What's the matter? Lane, what on earth is wrong with the lights? I don't know, sir. Well, don't stand there. Light the candles. We can't sit here in the darkness. And get the chauffeur. He knows something about electric lights. I'll call the chauffeur right away, sir. I'm terribly sorry about this. We've had trouble with the wiring before. The chauffeur will have it fixed in a few moments. Now... Let's get on with our dinner. If this is one of your tricks, Sir William, I... I... Oh, have some more wine, Mr. Bedford. It was a tense and terrible moment. I looked at Roberta. She was pale and frightened. Bedford, for all his poise, was uneasy. He didn't know whether Sir William was planning anything or whether this was really an accident. My heart was pounding away, and my palms were moist with perspiration. Only Sir William appeared cool. There was not a trace of emotion in his face. Oh, Mr. Bedford, you were saying about visiting the Riviera. Yes? It's quite a change from England at this time of year. Well, I suppose I'll make the trip next month when I... What's the matter, Mr. Bedford? Nothing. Nothing at all. I, I wish we could have some light. Rather difficult to see. Yes, I'm terribly sorry this had to happen just at dinner. Have a little more wine, Mr. Bedford. Yes, yes, thank you. The figure of a woman had entered the room. She had come in silently, like a ghost... We all saw her, but not one of us moved or made a sign of recognition. In the dim candlelight, she looked ghostly and unreal. Bedford looked at all of us to see if we also had seen the figure. But we ate our dinner grimly. He looked again, then shook his head and gulped more wine. Don't let you see anything. See what, Mr. Bedford? This is another one of your tricks. Can't any of you see her? What's got into you, Bedford? 
It's my aunt. My aunt. Perhaps you've had too much to drink. Huh? Your aunt's dead, Mr. Bedford. You're not seeing ghosts, I hope. Perhaps I drank too much. Yes, of course. She's coming toward me. Now, calm yourself. I've never seen you like this. What? There's no one else here. Do you see anyone, Roberta? No. No, Sir William. I don't either. I'm leaving. <laughs> I can't make you out, Bedford. You don't seem to be drunk. You're not wearing your gloves today, John. She's real! Can't any of you see her? Can't you hear her? What's come over you, Bedford? I'm leaving here. She's at the door. She won't let me out now. I'm an old woman. Money is no good for me. I'm lonely, John. I'm lonely. Let me tie your mouth out of my way. There's no one in your way, Bedford. Come, sit down. Get away from that door. I'll murder you again. Give me a mother. I'll murder you again. You always shall murder you again. All right, switch on the lights. Now, huh? oh, Officer Graham, come along. What? Arrest him. You've heard the confession. Put the handcuffs on him. I've got him, sir. Heaven. Oh, I have never seen anything so horrible. Well, Bedford, it seems that I've finally caught up with you. I'll kill her again. I'll kill her again. That wasn't your aunt. It was May Wakefield, the actress. I'll kill her again. I'll kill her again. Take him away, Graham. He's in a state of shock. Well, shall we continue with our dinner? I hope you're fully satisfied, Sir William. Quite. It's been a long job, but it has ended as I knew it would. I'm most grateful to you both for your help. I thought it was a pretty grim affair. Oh, your methods repel me. But I suppose you know your job. May Wakefield certainly knew hers. That was the finest piece of acting I've ever seen. Her makeup was incredibly good. We must congratulate her. She's probably gone to her room. Uh, Lane! Yes, sir. Uh, please call Miss Wakefield. Miss Wakefield, sir? Yes, the lady who's been assisting us this evening. Well, uh, uh, I look for her, sir. Yes, tell her to come down and join us. We have a fine dinner waiting for her. Excuse me, sir, but this telegram came a little while ago. I didn't want to disturb you during dinner. Oh, yes, let me have it. Good heavens. Sir William, what's wrong? I'll read it to you. Severe influenza makes it impossible for me to leave my bed tonight. Will tomorrow night do? Signed, May Wakefield. Lord, help us. If it wasn't May Wakefield, then who was that figure here tonight? There was no answer. I looked at Sir William, staring at the telegram. His face was grey and stony. On his left temple, a crooked blue vein stood out. It twitched once or twice, and then was motionless. He looked... He looked as though he'd seen a ghost. And so closes Banquo's Chair, starring Donald Crisp and John Loder. Tonight's tale of... Suspense. Now you may want to make a note of a change of time in these programs. Beginning next Tuesday, suspense will be heard a half hour later, or 10 to 10.30 Eastern War Time. 
This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us at our new time next Tuesday, when Vincent Price, Ona Munson, and Osa Masson will star in the suspense play Five Canaries in the Room. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, with Ted Bliss, the director, Lud Gluskin, and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, and Sigmund Miller, the radio author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. So with five canaries in the room and the performances of Ona Munson as Anita, Osa Masson as Fifi, and with Lee Bowman as Ronald Denham, who tells the story, we again hope to keep you in suspense. The trouble was, you see, that a whole apartment vanished. It's true. A flat disappeared straight out of that apartment house. And the dead man disappeared with it. No, I'm not crazy. And in spite of what they said, I hadn't taken too many drinks. You see, I was getting married to Anita in another two weeks. And Jimmy Westlake gave a bachelor party for me. Oh, hang it, it's a situation that might have happened to you. The party was at the old Cap and Bells Club on Lower Fifth Avenue. And it wasn't a brawl. Jimmy Westlake was in the chair, I admit. But nothing could have been more quiet, more dignified. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Mademoiselle from Armitage, Parley Boo. Mademoiselle from Armitage, Parley Boo. Oh, Mademoiselle from Armitage. Quiet, you fellas! Quiet! Pipe down, can't you? Wait a minute, the chairman wants to say something. Gentlemen! Gentlemen, this is a solemn occasion. 
If those dopes over there will kindly get away from the piano and sit down at the table, I have another toast to propose. Excuse me, Mr. Westlake. Excuse me, please, sir. Yes, Uncle Cato. What is it? Uh, excuse me, Mr. Westlake, but you ain't going to bust the glasses on this toast, is you? And why shouldn't we bust the glasses, Uncle Cato? Why shouldn't we bust the glasses? Oh, but Mr. Westlake, if you keep on busting the glasses, there ain't going to be no glasses left. Well, in that sad eventuality, Uncle Cato, we will simply start busting the plates. Isn't that fair enough, boys? Oh, look, Jimmy, don't you think you'd better tone the gang down a little? Be quiet, Ron. You're only the group. Yeah, I know, Jimmy, but... Gentlemen, I regret to tell you this, but the protesting voice you just heard was that of our guest of honor, Ronald Denham. Now, we all know Ron, and we all like him. But I am sorry to say he is not himself. Where now is the terror of nightclubs, the chorus girl's friend? I say it to his face, he is sober. But we like him just the same. Friends, guests, and bachelors, I give you the groom. Gentlemen, don't bust the glasses. Hey, come on, Ron. Come on, say a few words. That's right, Ron. Get up. Come on. Now, look, boys, I thank you for all the good words, and I don't want to be a wet blanket on the party, but it's nearly midnight, and I've got to get home early. Don't you understand, boys? I'm a reformed character. Yeah, how's Fifi Latour? I haven't seen Fifi for over years. She doesn't mean anything to me anymore. He thinks he does protest too much. Oh, now, look, I'm marrying the sweetest girl in the world, but Anita's a little... Well, straight laced. Oh, yeah. You know how it is. And what's more, there's my Uncle Rufus. Uncle Rufus. We'll hang Uncle Rufus. Quiet! Quiet! Anita and Uncle Rufus. Uh, Anita and Uncle Rufus have apartments in the same building as I have. And what's more, they're on the same floor, and that's not all. Tom Evans, the fellow I share my hey, flat with. wait a with. minute. Where is Tom Evans tonight? What's the matter with him? Tom works for Uncle Rufus, and he doesn't drink. Oh, he works for hey, Uncle hey, Rufus. Hey, fellas. He fellas. A drink. Oh, he works wait. for Uncle Rufus. Quiet, you baboons. Quiet. Now, wait a minute. Will, will you put yourselves in my place? My girl and my uncle and my best friend, Tom Evans, are all expecting me to come home from this party in an ash cart. Sure. And I'm going to fool them. Oh, and I have a heart, can't you? This Uncle Rufus must be a pretty tough egg, isn't he? Oh, he's all right, but after his first million dollars, it went to his head. <laughs> Has he got any human weaknesses? Yes, he keeps canaries. Oh, no, not the kind of canaries you're thinking. I mean the kind that go tweet-tweet in cages. <laughs> oh, what's the use? What do you say, gentlemen? Shall we allow this pure in heart to wind his way home? He's got a drink for the bride, though. That's right, Ron. Can you, as a chivalrous gentleman, refuse to drink to the bride? You can't, and you know you can't. Uncle Cato. Yes, sir, Mr. Westlake. Get a beer mug from the sideboard there. Fill it with champagne. Oh, now, wait a minute, Jim. One more drink won't hurt you, Shirley. Just one little drink? Well, no, I suppose not. Fill it up, Uncle Cato. All right, I'll have one more drink, just in honor of the occasion. But that's all, do you understand? That's absolutely all. Yes, sir. 098 Park Avenue. 
Hey, 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 mister, mister. Hmm? Come on, wake up. Hmm? Uh, what's wrong? Well, you're home, mister. This is the apartment house. Oh, yeah. Yes, of yeah. course. Come on. Thanks. Here we go. Easy now. Are you sure you're all right? Yeah. Yes, I... I'm all right. I... I've been to a bachelor party. Yeah, sure, I know. Well, take it easy now. I can't see straight. The whole street's going around. The funny part is I only had a couple of drinks. They... They must have put something in that last... Well, it's none of my business, mister, but I wouldn't tell that to the missus if I was you. It's absolutely true. Oh, sure, sure. I know, I... And I haven't got a missus. Not yet. My word of honor, I'm a reformed character. I have nothing to do with any woman except... Ronald Denham! As I live and breathe, it is Ronald Denham. Fifi Latour. Oh, Cherie, how good it is to see you. I look everywhere for you. I cry my eyes out, but I don't find you. What are you doing here? I live here, Fifi. I moved. I... Oh, you tried to get away from me, yes? Yes. Uh, no, no, I, I mean... Well, here's your money, driver. Night. Oh, good night, sir. It's one of yours, lady. You better take care of him. I'd take care of him. Yes, you bet you... My poor Ron, I forgive you this time because you've been on the rassle-dassle and you need someone to take care of you. You live in this building, yes? Yes, fifth floor, I... Oh, good. I take you to your apartment. No. No, no. You say no, eh? And why not? Because you mustn't go in there. Oh. Oh, there's an hour woman. What? Oh, yes? Well, if... yes. The... the fact is, Fifi, I'm going to get married. Married? Oh, for heaven's sake, Fifi, don't make a scene in the middle of the street. Oh, you break my heart, eh? Right in the middle of Park Avenue, you take my heart and you break it bang, bang. Fifi, please. Now I tell you what you do. You will take me to your apartment this very minute. No, definitely no. You will give me one cigarette and one brandy. You will tell me what this means. Oh, I warn you, by golly, I start screaming so they can hear me at City Hall. I can't do it, Fifi. All right, then I start screaming. No, wait a minute. Oh, of all the times in the world you had to pick this. Do I go along, Cherie? Yes or no? Well, if I do take you, Fifi, will you promise to be good? Cherie, I am always good. You won't kick up a row or start banging at doors. Oh, if Anita heard of this. Anita? And who is she? Oh, never mind. I'm too groggy to argue. Come on. I remember going into that building. Dim religious light, deep carpets... An automatic elevator that you work yourself. I remember stepping into that elevator because the floor creaked. I remember pressing the button for the fifth floor. I took Fifi with me and I took her into what the champagne told me was my own flat. Maybe you think that's funny. But it won't be funny much longer. Either the door of the flat was unlocked or my key fitted it. Anyway, I, I remember stumbling through the little hall inside, getting a light on and into the living room. I remember sitting back in an easy chair, thanking the Lord I was home. You don't mind if I take my coat off, Cherie? Look, Fifi, couldn't you just go home? I want to talk to you, Cherie. And this is one very nice flat. I like it. Thanks a lot. You and Tom Evans, you have good taste in furniture. We didn't choose the furniture, Fifi. This girl of yours chose it, I suppose? No, it comes with the flat. Oh, you mean... Well, these are furnished flats. They're all furnished exactly alike, except for the personal things you bring yourself. Like that picture on the wall behind me. What picture, Cherie? The painting of the clipper ship over there. <laughs> but, Cherie, 
<laughs> Your eyes are funny and you cannot say straight. There's no picture on that wall. Wait a minute. What's wrong? Why you jump up? We we don't own any bronze bookends. And the, the lampshades are different. And, Fifi, we're in the wrong flat. Oh, well, then that explains everything. Explains what? It explains about the canary birds. What canary birds? When we first come in here, I think I hear a lot of birds sing. And I think, ooh la la, this is a funny taste for one Denham and Tom Evans. But the... Uncle Rufus. Great Scott. Uncle Rufus. This uncle of yours, he keep canary birds? Yes, five of them. But this isn't his flat. I know his flat as well as I know my own. Where'd you hear the singing? Behind that door over there, where I point. That ought to be the door to the dining room. But... What was that? Oh, it is a car backfire. Maybe yes. Maybe no, unless they keep cars in dining rooms. That was a gun. It came from the dining room. Yeah, I think so. Quick, let's get out of here. Oh, no, we don't. I've been pushed around tonight till I'm good and mad, and I'm just about crazy enough to find out what this is all about. You're not going to open that door. You just watch me. There's a light in that room anyway. How you know? Look under the sill of the door. Not a very bright light, but... Ron, don't do it. Stand back now while I get the door open. Dining room. Not Uncle Rupert. Five canary birds. Five canaries in cages, all in a line. Where in Satan's name are we? Well, sir, I don't know. Whose flat is this? Who except Uncle Rufus would keep five canaries? I tell you one thing, though. And then I go out of here. Well? There's somebody watching us. Where? That swing door to the kitchen's partly open. But don't look. How the devil can I see it if I don't look? There's somebody standing behind it. I see the light shine on his eye. Quiet, Fifi. Hello there. Hello there. The door move a little more. He's pushing it. Oh, excuse me, sir. We didn't mean to barge in here. We're not burglars or anything like that. We got into the wrong flat, that's all. I want to apologize if we... Straight out through the door, back on his face. What's the matter with him? Why don't he move? I've got an idea, Fifi. It's because he's dead. He was a little fat man with eyeglasses and a spade-shaped beard. He looked foreign somehow. And there was a bullet hole over his heart. You ask me what happened then? I don't know. Fifi turned and ran. At least I think she did. I bent over the man to make sure he was dead. And then something hit me. As though it hadn't been enough of a nightmare already, I... I could hear that blackjack strike the back of my skull. And everything exploded. I couldn't get my breath, and I, I seemed to be swimming in dark water. The next voice I heard wasn't Fifi's at all. It, it was Anita's. And... Ron. Ron Denham. Oh. Oh, my head. Oh, Lord, my, my head. Well, I'm not at all surprised. What's, what's that, Anita? I can't hear you. I said I'm not at all surprised. Of all the disgraceful, dissolute objects I ever saw. Anita, where am I? Oh, darling, as though you didn't know. But, uh, but I don't know. 
My head feels like a, like a printing press in full blast. Well, you're out in the main hall, dear, on the fifth floor, sitting on the stairs beside the elevator shaft. That's true. But how did I get here? Oh, now, really, Ron. I, I must have been carried here. That's it. By your drunken friends at the club? Well, I don't doubt it in the least. No, Anita. No, you don't understand. I left that party early. I was cold sober. But the low hounds wanted to see me come home in bad shape. So they could... So they, they put something in my glass. Oh, naturally, Ron. Whiskey or champagne? Oh, no, Anita. I mean a drug of some kind. I was dizzy when I got here. Just as I was getting out of the taxi, I met... Well, go on, dear. Whom did you meet? Uh, uh, nobody, Anita. Nobody at all. I came up here to what I thought was my own flat, but it, it wasn't my flat. It was somebody else's. There were a lot of canaries singing and a dead man with a bullet hole in his chest. And... <laughs> well, this sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? Yes, dear, it certainly does. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> oh, Ron, I suppose I've got to forgive you. I always do forgive you. Now run along like a good boy and sleep it off, hmm? Listen, Anita... There's a dead man in one of these flats. A dead man? In which flat? Well, that's just it. I don't know. You're not saying it's on this floor. Yes, I definitely remember pressing the button for the fifth floor. Suppose you listen to me, dear. Now, don't make faces and rumple your hair. Just listen. There are only two other apartments on this floor. One is your uncle. It wasn't his. I'll swear to that. Well, and the other is mine. You don't think I'm hiding a dead man? No, it wasn't your flat either. Well, then where is it, darling? A whole flat can't vanish and take the dead man along, can it? No. But I'll tell you something else, Anita. I've seen that man's face somewhere before. Well, whose face? The dead man's. Thick eyeglasses, square black beard, something foreign about it. I, I've seen him, or, or I've seen his picture, or... Oh, Ron, please. What's wrong? It's the elevator. Somebody's coming up. Oh, please don't let people see you. Your hat smashed in and your tie's untied and you, you look like nothing on earth. Well, look here, Anita. If it comes to that, what are you doing out in the hall in negligee and pajamas? Well, I wanted to make sure you got home safely. Ron, the elevator, it's Tom Evans and your Uncle Rufus. All right, I can take it. But your uncle can't. Now, don't say anything to him about this dead man. Promise me. Hold on, I've got it. Pierre Duroc. Who? Pierre Duroc. That's the dead man's name. He... The prospect of a European war is so remote as not to be worth serious consideration. Excuse me, sir, but isn't that a little strong? Now, don't argue with me, Evans. No, sir. You may tell my secretary to... Look here. What's this? Well, now look, Uncle Rufus. Oh, I can't stand any more of this. I'm fed up. Well, I don't blame you, my dear. Has this nephew of mine been annoying you again? Oh, no, of course not, but please don't pay any attention to him. He's... He's drunk. For the last time, I am not drunk. I just want to ask Uncle Rufus, before I go completely nuts, whether he hasn't heard of Pierre Duroc. What's that, Ronald? What'd you say? Pierre Duroc, the French millionaire. Well, what about him? He's the man who always deals in cash on the line. Spot cash, even if it's a million. I saw his picture in the paper. He's in New York to put through a business deal with you, isn't oh, he? Oh, indeed, Ronald. Well, you show a commendable interest in my affairs. That's what you want me to do, isn't it? Well, I believe Duroc does want to buy some property I own, but uh, he hasn't approached me and I haven't approached him. It's a bad business. Uh, why have you developed this sudden interest in Duroc? Because he's dead. Dead? 
Somebody shot him in a room full of canaries and then slugged me over the head. Do you believe me, Evans? If your uncle will excuse me, old man, I don't see any reason not to believe you. Where's the body? Well, that's the trouble. Ron claims he found it in a flat that doesn't exist. Listen. What's that? Sounded like somebody running upstairs in a devil of a hurry. Well, maybe it's the dead man. Well, as a matter of fact, it's the night porter. He's the one who can tell us. Tell us what? Well, maybe I did get off at a different floor, but that flat's got to be somewhere in this building. Pearson! Well, just a minute. Pearson! I'm very sorry, sir. I can't stop now. Please stand aside. I've got to go upstairs and get the manager. Why, Pearson? Is anything wrong? Well, Mr. Evans... Speak up, man. Is anything wrong? It's the police, sir. We found a dead man in the palm garden downstairs. Now do you believe me? You will oblige me, all of you, if you remain quiet and allow me to deal with this. Uh, <clears throat> oh, what does this man look like, Pearson? Uh, he's a foreign-looking gentleman, sir. Never saw him before. He doesn't live in the building. Well, then how did he get to the palm garden? Uh, well, sir, that's what we don't know. He certainly wasn't there when I looked in half an hour ago. But I went back to the palm garden just by chance, and there he was in a wicker chair with the singing birds in cages all around him. Birds again? Oh, be quiet, Ronald. He'd, uh, he'd been shot, sir, the... Police think he was brought down in the service elevator from somewhere upstairs. Why do they think that? Because they found a revolver in that elevator and a little paper band of the, the kind that goes around banknotes. If they could tell where the dead man came from... You can tell us where he came from. Huh? I, I can, sir. Yes, you've been in most of the flats in this building, haven't you? I've been inside all of them, sir. Why? Well, would you recognize any given flat if I described it? Well, uh, yes, sir, certainly, but... Uh... Well, then, for the love of Mike, think... Who lives in a flat with five canary cages in the dining room? Ronald, are you out of your mind? In case you don't happen to remember, you're describing my place. No, it, it was like your place, but it wasn't at all the same. Oriental prints on the walls. In the living room, uh, bronze bookends and, and bronze lamps. Dragon patterns on the lampshades. There was a, a queer kind of clock on the mantelpiece, shaped like a figure of Father Time. And what's the matter with you, Pearson? Uh, nothing, sir. Uh... But you, you're sure you saw all that? Yes, of course I'm sure. Why not? Because I'm sorry, sir, but you couldn't have seen it. What do you mean I couldn't have seen it? I did see it. Who lives in the blasted place? Nobody. Well, you mean the flat's vacant? Uh, no, sir. I mean, the, there's no such flat in the whole building. That's the position I was in when the police took us down to that palm garden to see the body. I never did like the palm garden much. It's a big, dimly lighted hollow of a place with bird cages beside the palms and an artificial goldfish pond in the middle. I liked it even less at three o'clock in the morning with a dead man looking at me from his chair. They sent us in one at a time. I was first to see the homicide squad officer. And there was Inspector Braddock, a big, sleepy-looking hulk with a hat like a pirate, sitting on a bench throwing pebbles at that pond. Back would go his arm, and a pebble would hit the water. Back would go his arm, and a pebble would hit the water. And that's all you've got to tell me, Mr. Dunham? Yeah, that's all, Inspector. It happens to be true. Oh, I believe you. After all, son, we've got corroboration. Corroboration from whom? From your other girlfriend, Fifi Latour. But Fifi's not here. She ran out of here as soon as Duroc's body fell through that door. Yes, but she didn't run far. A cop wondered why she was running and brought her back. Where's Fifi now? In that room there. 
talking to your official girlfriend. Oh, that's fine. That's beautiful. The one thing I didn't tell Anita. Why don't you wake up? Wake up? How? This isn't post office any longer. It's murder. And one of that gang out there shot Pierre de Rock. Are you serious? Serious. Sure, I'm serious. This is as clever and slick and mean a trick as ever went on the blotter. Pierre de Rock was one of the goats. You were the other. This uncle of yours is a fairly important guy, isn't he? Wait a minute. Just exactly what are you saying about the old boy? I'm saying he gets lots of publicity. This hobby of his, keeping dicky birds, must be pretty well known. Yes, I suppose so. All right. So if Duroc came to visit your uncle tonight... You say, if Duroc came to visit my uncle. What you're forgetting, son, is that Duroc's an important man, too. He's a visiting foreigner. Capital letters. And the department's got to keep an eye on him. Duroc did go to visit your uncle tonight... And he was carrying $20,000 in cash. What are you intimating? Murder. Inspector Braddock. Yes, Sergeant? That crowd out there is raising Kane, especially the old man and the French gal. Shall I let him in? Yeah, you can let him in now. An hour. No, more than an hour. Sitting in an anteroom without even hearing why we're here. I tell you, Evans is intolerable. It's all right, sir. They probably know what they're doing. You think so, my friend? But I still don't know why I'm here. How very interesting, Miss Latour. Such extreme absent-mindedness. Well, perhaps Ron could tell you why you're here. Oh, listen, Anita, I can explain everything. Can you explain the disappearing apartment? Well, that's better. I'd like, if you don't mind, to have a little quiet here. Now, which one of you is Mr. Rufus Denham? I am Rufus Denham, sir. Rufus Denham of Denham and Company. Can there be any doubt whatever about that? No, but I thought I'd ask. I was just telling your nephew, Mr. Dunham, that Pierre Duroc came here tonight to see you. To see me, Inspector? That's right. <laughs> I can only characterize that statement, sir, as a flat and downright lie. I've never met that man. I didn't say you met him. I said he came here to see you. Duroc wanted to buy some property from you, didn't he? Well, well I suppose he did. And Duroc always paid spot cash, didn't he? Mm, yes, I believe so. Just one more question. I imagine you've got a secretary... Yes, naturally, I've got a secretary, Miss Helen Gardner. What about her? Somebody posing as your secretary telephoned Duroc at the Metropolis Hotel and spoke to him in very good French. Well, Inspector, don't stop there. Go on. This person, pretending to represent Rufus Dunham, asked Duroc to come here with the money and said they could settle the deal immediately. Don't you see the trick now? Don't you see Duroc was lured into a dummy apartment? A dummy apartment? What does this man mean? I'll tell you. All the flats are furnished exactly alike except for personal things. Pictures, books, lampshades, ornaments. Is that correct? Yes, of course it is. The murderer didn't dare use Rufus Dunham's real flat. But the murderer could always decorate an imitation flat. So that Pierre Duroc would be deceived when he saw... Five canary birds. That's it, son. But what was the idea? A very neat swindle. Look at Duroc's body now. Oh, I can't look at it. Look at his thick glasses. Well, the man was half blind. This so-called secretary, disguised, would meet Duroc in an imitation flat. Duroc would hand over the money and get forged title deeds in return. When Duroc had gone, the flat could be put right again and no evidence left. But uh, something went wrong, That's eh? right. Something went wrong. Duroc suspected. And had to be killed. Right again. Inspector Braddock, who is the murderer? Can't you guess? Cream, I think I know how it all happened. Do you, Miss Latour? Well, it's very smart of you. Uh, this poor Ronald of mine, he is at a bachelor party. They do not think that he will be home until daylight. Um, but he get reformed and come home early. 
He plumbed us straight into that flat in time to interrupt... In time to interrupt the murder, yes. Afterwards, when you were supposed to run away... But I did run away! Sure, Miss Latour, I'm admitting you did. Then why do you look at me as though I didn't? Afterwards, as I was saying, the murderer had to hit Ronald Denham over the head and drag him out in the hall. The rock's body was brought down here along with the canary cages that had been borrowed from here. And the dummy flat was set right again. Uh, just one moment, Inspector Raddock. I, I'm not disputing anything you say, but... Uh, well, sir, what's on your mind? The murderer. What about the murderer? Well, all this. Uh, wouldn't it have been much too heavy a job for a woman? Who said the murderer was a woman? Well, didn't you? I don't think I did. I said the murderer was somebody who planned to swindle. And you still don't see it, any of you, because you can't find the dummy flat. Well, no, and I can't find it myself. That's one question you've got to answer here and now. Where in Satan's name did I go? Whose flat was I in? Your own. What? My own? Naturally. If you'd been cold sober, you might have made a mistake. But your instinct brought you home to your own flat. And the only possible murderer is the man who shares that flat with you. The man who thought you'd be away until daylight. The man who knows enough about Denham's business affairs to plan this swindle against Duroc. Look out, Inspector Braddock. Grab him, Sergeant. Thomas Evans, I arrest you for the murder of Pierre Duroc. Good Lord, Evans. Well, that's about all there is to the story. Anita and I were married last week. She's a wonderful girl. I tried to talk her into our staying on in my old flat, but she said she just had to have an apartment which didn't have such a habit of disappearing. But we're very happy. We agree about everything, don't we, dear? Oh, practically everything, darling. But I still don't think it was cute of Fifi to send up three dozen canaries for a wedding present. So closes Five Canaries in the Room, starring Ona Munson, Lee Bowman, and Osa Masson. Tonight's tale of suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday, when our suspense play will be Last Night by Cornell Woolrich, and will star more of your Hollywood favorites. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, with Ted Bliss, the director, Lud Gluskin and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us this evening for these two stories from Suspense. If you enjoy, if you enjoy, if if you're enjoying our show, please do take a moment and send us a review for 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. We would appreciate that very much, and we'll keep the good mix coming every Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.